mistakes, girl, you already know I wanna be free. wanna be free I wanna be free. wanna be free Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a podcast from Steamboat Institute. My name is Charlotte Whalen, and I'm a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute, and I'm excited to be here today. My guest today is Jorge Glicia. Jorge is a Christian, lawyer, and freedom fighter. He is one of four million Venezuelans who have fled their country following its economic, social, and political collapse. Living under socialist tyranny, showed Jorge the dangers of letting the state grow. He now speaks about the very real damages of socialism has made his life's mission to win the fight. Welcome, Jorge, and thank you for joining me today. No, thank you for the invitation, Charlotte, and also thank you to the Steamboat Institute for organizing this initiative. So I would love to start with your personal story. I know it's a broad question, um, but you've spoken about how you come, you come from what used to be a comfortable middle-class background and how you witnessed firsthand the devastation of the country. Could you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yes, I uh, I grew up, of course, in, in Venezuela. I came from Venezuela. And uh, pretty much, I, you know, uh, in the year 2018, is the, is the, that's the year that I decided to come to America because of all of the devastation we're currently seeing in, in Venezuela. But the... The, um, the interesting point about this, my story is that it was not always like that. I mean, right now, if you Google, then you, you put in Google Venezuela and you play, you show uh, the images, you're going to see a lot of devastation, a lot of poverty in the streets, because that's how it, the country it is today. But it was not always like that for, uh, for, for a lot of people there. Uh, for example, I grew up in a middle class family. Uh, when I was a child, I used to have great birthday parties every year. year. Uh, my family and I used to go to restaurants every time, you know, uh, to spend some time together. I used to have the latest versions of my favorite video games. It was a really nice life. But then uh, the year 2014, uh, that situation totally changed for me and my family. Uh, for example, in my house, we stopped having constant water supply. Uh, electricity started to fail horribly. Uh, most of the time, internet connection started to fail horribly as well. Um, you know, even, even food became uh, really uh, hard to find uh, uh, item for, for, for majority of us. Uh, I can tell you that when I was there, I was not eating as well as I wanted to eat, not in the quantities I wanted to eat. And, you know, it is, it is really something, you know, to see how your life can go from being, you know, part of the middle, Venezuelan middle class to becoming you know, basically some, you know, poor, I, I, I it, it was uh, a really life-changing experience for me. And this happened because of course the social, the, the, the country started to follow the wrong ideas, the socialist ideas, and, and now we're paying the consequence basically. So can we talk a little bit about this, you know, what happened when, you know, socialism kind of began in Venezuela? Um, I know that you talked about previously in other talks and um, speeches you've given, 
how Venezuela is once you know, the fourth largest economy in the world with a GDP higher than countries such as uh, China, Israel, Greece, Spain. Um, but now you say, you know, you went from a middle class to now base middle class kind of lifestyle to not having basic necessities like water and internet, or you've also talked about um, medicine. Um, can you kind of talk about the collapse of this economy and kind of how the country got from, like, you know, what you began with this like nice middle class to now what most people are experiencing today? Yeah, I think it is important to understand that the process of the ter- the, of collapse of the Venezuelan econo- econ- economy uh, didn't start uh, like from one day to another. This was a progressive uh, process that started as early as I would say 1975 when when Venezuela actually gave its first major step into socialism, when we decided to nationalize our our oil industry, you have to know that Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the entire world. And when we as a country democratically decided to nationalize the industry, well, that's when the problems began because basically the government started to receive a lot of new fundings that they were not really used to receive because, well, during this time, Venezuela uh, used to be the biggest oil producer in the entire world, and and, and we have the, we 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 have the biggest uh, oil reserves in the entire world. So when the government nationalized the industry, they started to receive a, new, a bunch of new money, and they started to spend as well a lot of new money by creating a lot of social programs and subsidies. And of course, Venezuelans during the time enjoyed a lot of all of these programs created by the government. They were receiving a bunch of free stuff, free medicine, free college tuition even free housing, I mean, free gasoline, almost anything you could imagine was being subsidized during the time in Venezuela. But unfortunately, this lifestyle was not sustainable for us. And in the in the 80s, when, when we entered the 80s, we saw how this abundance, we, these, these regions that we used to see in Venezuela basically came to an end because the, the oil prices came down. And that's when our problems actually started to, to, to appear because... Venezuelans were already used to the idea of living out of government assistance. And, well, uh, it, it was not sustainable for us. And when the political class elite decided to take the right decisions, because at some point in the 80s, they decided to start cutting uh, spending, uh, reducing subsidies, you know, trying to balance the budget. But guess what? It was already too late. Venezuelans were already used to the idea of living out of government assistance. And, well, that's when our democracy started to collapse because, uh, uh, people didn't want to hear that changes were needed like this, like, uh, you know, cutting subsidies, cutting social programs. And because of this uh, illusion of they, people really wanted to be able to live out of government assistance forever. Well, that's how we ended up electing someone who, like Hugo Chavez, who ended up, you know, destroying all of our institutions. He destroyed the Supreme Court. He destroyed uh, all of our oldest uh, institutions of our former republic, because we didn't, we no longer have a republic thanks to Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro. But I think you know this is this is uh, uh, a, a story that you're not going to be hearing a lot, even from conservative outlets, and of course not from progressives uh, outlets, because um, people usually think, well, uh, you know, Venezuela before Hugo Chavez used to be a really great place. It is kind of true, but it is not a complete truth. And I think it is important that people realize what to have the whole picture of what happened to us, because in a sense, Venezuela was collapsed, not only by this uh, horrible totalitarian socialism that we're currently having, but also because of democratic socialism, which is uh, the kind of system that many people, many progressive people are advocating for here in America. They say, hey, no, we don't want uh, these uh, 
hardcore uh, tyranny, socialist tyranny, like the one we have in Venezuela, we want something more democratic, right? Democratic socialism. But well, guess what? Democratic socialism, in a sense, brought us leaders like Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro, who ended up destroying the whole nation. So how do you feel about the state of your country now? Do you think that this kind of downhill trajectory you described um, can or could be stopped? Do you think that the future of Venezuela can regain the prosperity it once enjoyed? Well, honestly, I was super hopeful under the Trump administration. I really liked the approach that they took during these four years of uh, adding economic and diplomatic pressure and even military pressure. You know, Trump um, uh, ordered a massive, uh, um, you know, military uh, movement around the Venezuelan and the Caribbean Sea to, to try to tackle all of the drug trafficking that is uh, flowing in, in, in the area because, of course, now because of the sanctions and uh, drug trafficking is basically the main source of income for the Venezuelan tyranny. So I was extremely hopeful during this time. But um, now, uh, I mean, now under Biden, I'm not seeing the same, hard, uh, you know, uh, tough rhetoric coming from the White House against uh, Nicolas Maduro. And I, we have we haven't seen the like a decrease in the pressure that Trump uh, st started years uh, in, during his administration, but we haven't also seen like uh, a continuation of of, of of the escalation that we were seeing under under his command. So currently, I don't have a lot of expectations about uh, the future of Venezuela because I think uh, if Venezuela is going to change, sometime it's going to need it's going to be through uh, you know international assistance because mm -hmm. we as a country. We are an unarmed population. I think that's another important point that we have to do. If we, if we, another lesson Venezuelan can can teach us, right? The importance of having arms and and and, and the population being able to keep and bear arms because uh, that's the problem right now. We have a super unpopular tyranny. Everybody wants them out of there, but unfortunately, they have the back of the military and and our population is unarmed, so we are defenseless against them, right? So without international assistance, I don't think we're going to have, uh, you know, a bright future. Uh, you know, a lot, there are a lot of problems going on right now in Venezuela, mafias, uh, like gang members taking uh, several uh, uh, spaces of the Venezuelan ter territory. So uh, even if somehow we manage to get, get rid of Maduro, I mean, the reconstruction process is going to be extremely tough for us, especially because we basically lost our sovereignty to, uh, to countries like Cuba, like Russia, like China. I mean, Venezuela right now is like a, a heaven for uh, all of these uh, anti-American uh, countries that are using Venezuela as a territorial platform to, um, you know, perform all kind of bad businesses. Like, you know, they are using Venezuela to, to uh, send drugs to America, to Europe. Even uh, Hezbollah has uh, cells going on in Venezuela. So right now, Venezuela is a total chaos, and I don't see how we can start rebuilding our nation without uh, foreign assistance, honestly. So that's that's how I look at things right now. So to wrap things up, I have one final question for you. If This might be a hard one, but if you could say one thing to young people in the U.S. or just American people today, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them that be careful of uh, the promises that socialists uh, make to you because they can be really tempting, tempting you know. Uh, who would be against uh, receiving free collustration or free housing or free whatever? All of that sounds extremely great, but 
if you start doing your research and you start understanding the actual how the economy works and how the actual consequences that policies like that could bring to America, well, you're going to realize that hey, this is this is not a, uh, a good a good deal to make, right? Uh, so uh, read about the history of socialism, how places like Venezuela, like Cuba, like China, like Russia, how they end up being uh, super devastated societies because of following the wrong ideas and uh, and and be suspicious, you know, be uh, don't believe in, in in politicians, especially coming from the left, because uh, I think you know they they come with all of these great offers of free things, but in the in, at the end, that's they don't care about your your wellness. They, all they do they they want to give you a lot of free stuff. That's that's true, but they want to do it to control you at the end. That's that's uh, that's the way I see it. I mean. In Venezuela right now, if you have to have, if you have, if you want to have some access to medicines or whatever is left in the country, you have to do it by, you know, registering into the uh, socialist uh, party of Venezuela. I mean, the ruling party, you have to have their ID saying that you are a member of the party. So, of course, they give you a lot of free stuff, but they do it to control you in the future and to make you dependent on government and to then control and be owner of your life. So uh don't don't fall into that and you know america is a beautiful place i know we have our problems and we as conservatives need to start um offering solutions to the problems that americans have because you know even though i believe america might be the greatest country on earth i do i also believe that we as a society have some problems for example i would say um medical expenses are extremely uh, right. expensive for a lot of people that's that's uh, that i think that's true but the idea that socialism is somehow going to improve any of those issues is, is, is nonsense, you know? So that's my message. I really like your point about um, kind of learning from the, like reading history and reading from, you know, what has happened to other countries. Cause I feel like so many people who are, I don't know, support more socialist leaning policies, like, Oh, it's a new idea. You know, it's never been done before. And you're like, well, read your history. Don't allow cancel culture to, you know, yeah, exactly. Shut people up, but actually read it. And it's no different than so many of these other people. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, on the Steamboat Institute podcast. Um, we are so happy to have you and thank you for telling us your story. I think you have such an incredible message that people need to hear with your firsthand experience, um, both, in Venezuela and also even seeing what's happening here. So thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us today. No, thank you, Charlotte. And thank you to the Steamboat Institute. And who knows? I hope to see you all in uh, Freedom Conference. I don't know when that is, but I want—I really want to go because I had a really nice time last time. So uh, God bless you all. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.